0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I tell you what, uh, worship team really set the atmosphere for us this morning. Um, wow. Uh, I'll try to do my best up here. Actually, let me let me just get rid of some of this before I get too confused. Um, so today's service is going to be a little bit different. Uh, if you haven't been able to tell, just for us starting a little bit earlier and stuff. Um, so just kind of be open, <laughs> open your heart to whatever God has for us today. Um, but as he said, Pastor Lynn is uh, at general Council, or he's on the way there today. And uh, we, we uh, believe in the assemblies, we believe what they're doing. It's really cool that he's able to go and that we're able to send him. And uh, I pray that everything goes well there. I pray that all the right decisions are made and that uh, the future is bright in the kingdom of God. And so we're definitely going to pray for that. Uh, Before I get into my message, I do want to challenge you this morning. If you are not a believer, if you're not a, uh, if you're not surrendered to the Lord, to open your heart up to what God has for you today. And by the end of the the service, at least, to make that decision to completely surrender your life to him. I think that'd be the best decision you ever made in your life. So, but open your heart up now to see what God wants to say to you. Uh, let me ask you this before I get into the word. How many of you are confident in your interpretation of the book of Revelation? (laughs) I see one hand, two hands, a few of you. Revelation is one of those books. It can be very difficult to read uh, if you're just picking up and reading it because, um, It's uh, it's written in apocalyptic literature, and we don't really have a whole lot of apocalyptic literature books, so when you're not uh, familiar with that genre, it can be difficult to read. But you know what? We just got done with uh, the book of John in our Sunday school class with our youth uh, a few weeks back, and before we got done, guess what book they requested to do next? (laughs) Revelation. So guess where we're at? We're there. I've only preached out of Revelation maybe a, a couple of times in the past, like, 10 years. Um, so I, it's not that I try to stay away from it. It's just, it's kind of hard to interpret, but there is a correct way to interpret it. And there's also a correct way not to interpret it. I would say if you're reading into all the current events into uh revelation, it's probably the wrong way to read it. Um, and I can explain that at some point if, if you want me to, but there's two main themes that if you miss these two themes, you're going to miss the whole book. The first theme and the biggest theme of the book of revelation is this, Jesus wins And because Jesus wins, we win. So if you don't get that out of the book, you missed the point. The second theme is a worship theme, which we see throughout the whole book. And that's kind of what we're going to focus on today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to uh, Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 5. We'll be in both. I'll also be um, making references to several places in the Old Testament. You're welcome to try to flip with me quickly if you can. If not, it'll be on the screen. But I do want you to turn to... Revelation 2 and Revelation 5. So if you're unfamiliar with the layout of the book, the first chapter is really just the intro from John. He's explaining what's happening. He's got this vision. He's talking about why he wrote and who he's writing to, which is these seven churches in uh, the providence of Asia, which is today is Turkey. And we're going to start with the very first church uh, that he writes to in chapter 2. Uh, there's seven churches. And um, the first one is the Church of Ephesus. So before we get into all that, let's pray and let's ask God's uh, blessing over today and um, blessing over the reading of his word. Lord, we thank you again for today. Thank you for the opportunity to come into your house to worship your name. What an incredible time of worship already as we sing about the worthiness of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bring our hearts back to, to uh, make you the, the highest priority in our lives. And Lord, uh, I pray that uh, your word would illuminate truth in our lives and help us to be changed this morning by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I titled today's message, Who is Worthy? Who is Worthy? Can you remember back to your days of dating? Now some of you are probably a little bit younger, you're not married yet, but for many of us that have been married for a long time, Uh, Can you remember back to, like, high school or back to, like, some of your first dates with your significant other? And how did that look? So Lacey and I have been dating for, or since high school, Um, and I remember she was... Y'all don't judge me on this, okay? It's gonna sound weird at first, but just it's not. All right, I had just turned 16. She was 14 and a half, so... It wasn't that much off. But... (laughs) We were dating. We started dating in December, and her birthday is in June. So at our six-month anniversary, dating, uh, it was also her birthday. And me, being a person, I'd never really dated anybody before. Uh, I'd had a few relationships. They never lasted more than two weeks, and they all broke up with me. So it was like, man, the fact that she stayed longer than two weeks, it was incredible. (laughs) I tell you. And because of that, I was like, man, I want to do something special for this lady. Like, she's something special. I want to do something special. So I had this job of, uh, I was a janitor at a community college. I made about $50 a week and I saved up, saved up, saved up. And I had, I didn't really have any money, things to spend money on. So I had some money, but for her first birthday, I was like, what do I get her? I don't know. So I, my sister, um, actually took me out shopping for different stuff to help me. And, uh, I started buying a few things and it started adding up and I'm like, you know, over a hundred dollars, over $150 buying different items. And I was like, is this enough? She's like, well, there's some other stuff. I'm like, cool. Well, let's just buy that too. um, <laughs> By the end of it, I spent over $300 on her. And I decided to wrap each present. I don't know if you remember this. I wrapped each present. Uh, I I coordinated with her mom to get to her house before she was there. I hid them all around her house and made a scavenger hunt for her to uh, go and find each item. With the last item being some kind of jewelry or something like that. I don't know what it was. It was pretty awesome, wasn't it? So <laughs> it was, it was, uh, you know, like the early stages of dating and stuff. Uh, we did some, some, uh, pretty crazy stuff like that. You know, we went to Mobile like every other week. It was about an hour away. I dropped about a hundred dollars going out to eat, going bowling, going to the movies, getting lost on the way home. Cause we didn't have GPS. And I always thought I knew the way back and I always missed my turn on the interstate. And, uh, so that was interesting. We had some pretty, um, crazy times there. But then I look forward to now, and I'm like, you know, she just had a birthday in June. I'm like, what did we do? What did I do for her? (laughs) Was it like the first time we started dating? Was it? (laughs) It was not. And, you know, I got to thinking about, it's it's not that I don't love her less, and it's not that... um, you know, I don't care for her or, or want to do good for her, but there's something about being uh, comfortable with somebody and being in a relationship for a long time that sometimes you lose sight of maybe what you once had and the energy and the passion that you put into a relationship. And so I can definitely say that I love my wife more than ever. Like She's incredible. She's the best thing. She's she better than anybody else's wife. That's all I'm saying. You can, you can fight me about it later, but I'm just saying it's true for me. Um, but what happens when we get so comfortable in a relationship that we stop pursuing our spouse like we used to? And many of you are probably thinking, man, when is the last time I did something like super special for my significant other? When's the last time I went out of my way or planned something or did something really cool for that person in my life? Or it could be a family member or friend even, somebody that you're close to. Like if you've got a really close friend, you know, what, when's the last time you wrote them a note or did something really uh, special for them? Well, chapter 2 kind of plays into this a little bit. And so I want to read uh, Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Now, John was probably more familiar with the church of Ephesus than any of the other churches. I, think, I believe that's where he got exiled from to the Isle of, Isle of Patmos. So uh, read, he's, he's writing to this first church, and I believe he, he, there's more than seven churches in Asia, but he only wrote to seven, and seven's a big number in Revelation, by the way. Seven means uh, perfection or completeness. And so when he's writing to the seven churches, what I believe he's writing to is the church. And each of these churches represents what the church is as a whole. He's writing to them individually, and like these things specifically pertain to these churches, but I think it pertains to us as well. And so keep that in mind as we read. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 says this To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, I told you this was apocalyptic literature. I'm going to have to explain a lot of this stuff. But before I do, I want you to turn to somebody next to you and ask them or answer this question. What are the seven stars and what are the seven lampstands and what do they represent? You got 15 seconds. What are they? What are the seven stars and what are the seven lampstands? And if you're in my Sunday school class, you better get it right. (laughs) Okay, how many of you were right? A few of you, okay. What do they represent? Well, thankfully, we don't have to guess. Because if you look one verse back, in chapter 1, verse 20, it tells you, and I'll read it. It says, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand that he mentioned earlier and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the seven angels or messengers of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So we know, look at there, man. Glad we ain't got a guess about that. Um, so all that's saying is that this is Jesus talking. He's talking to the churches. He's the one with the seven stars and the seven, uh, among the seven lampstands. Verse two, I know your works, He says to the church, your toll, your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. It's pretty cool that Jesus commends the people here. It's not easy being faithful to God in the midst of persecution and opposition, but they were, and it's easy, it's easy to ignore evil things. But this church was actually like standing up for things against things that were evil. Verse three. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. If you think about it, uh, that's why I, I was talking about relationships earlier. You know, when you first get into a relationship with somebody that you really like or really love, whether it's a friend or a spouse or in a relationship, it's, it's kind of like you have all those, those feelings at first of like, being in that relationship and doing everything you can. You don't live together yet, you know, so you're, you're, you're willing to drive, you're willing to, to go out and you always want to meet up with that person. But then when you live with that person, you know, it's kind of like, well, I see them all the time, you know, you, you get that familiarity and that comfortability, right? But Jesus said this to this church, this is what I have against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. I was reading a, one of my commentaries uh, that Shelby Piercey gave me and uh, it's called the Complete Biblical Library Commentary. And I, I, I wanted to quote this because it was, it was I thought it was pretty good uh, about this verse. And this is what that commentary said. It says, once they had responded, talking about the church, once they had responded to Christ's love by pouring out their hearts in fervent love and praise to him, now they are satisfied to have the right doctrine and fulfill what they considered to be their duty to the Lord. But their work for him was no longer showed Christ-like, by Christ-like compassion. Their lives were very busy but terribly barren. And that, that hit me because I know that there are seasons of my life where I'm more worried about good doctrine and doing the right things than I am actually about pursuing the heart of the Lord. And so that spoke to me in this verse. And it's not that I don't love the Lord. And it's maybe not that you don't love the Lord. It's just that sometimes we get busy. And sometimes we need to be reminded, hey, you haven't taken your wife out in a month. Maybe you should go catch a movie or something together. You know, Maybe you should do something special. Maybe you should make a picnic. Maybe you should cook or do the dishes or whatever. If you haven't done those things in a long time, sometimes it's time to to reflect back and say, what could I be doing? Or how does the Lord want to be loved? Verse five, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from his place until you repent. There's three things that this verse says. Remember, remember from where you've fallen, repent to change your mind, and do. Remember, repent, and do. If not, their lampstand will be removed out of his place. What does that mean? If you go back to Revelation 1.13, it references that Jesus was in the midst of the seven lampstands. And so to remove the lampstand meant to be removed from the presence of God, essentially. Verse 6 Yet this I have, yet, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nic- Nicola- Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. And so essentially, if you, if, if you do repent, if you do remember, if you do the works, then you will share in the eternal life that, that Christ has. So. What is this familiarity that we have sometimes? Let me ask you this. How do you walk around your house during the day or at night? What do you wear? I'm not asking if you'd tell me. I'm just trying to get you to think. You know what I'm saying? You got a family. You wear your pajamas around. You wear kind of whatever. You, you may say some things in your house that you may not say in front of other people. You may do some things that you wouldn't always do in front of others. You may leave those messes out that you're like, ah, oh, it's just my family. I can, leave this. I can leave the toilet seat up or whatever, you know, put all this on the counter. <laughs> but what about when you have a guest, especially a guest that you're not super familiar with? What do you tend to do? You're not walking around in the same pajamas. You're not saying some of the same things. You're not doing some of the same things. A lot of you, our house included, well, we'll spend like all day cleaning our house <laughs> to make it look like nobody lives there. <laughs> nobody lives in this house. We don't have kids. Don't worry about it. They don't make messes. Everything's perfect, <laughs> right? Because when a guest comes in and somebody you're not familiar with, you tend to treat it a little bit differently. I remember staying in uh, Florida. We, we lived, I lived in Florida for five years. Uh, Lacey joined me for three of those years. After she graduated, we got married but we uh, were 45 minutes away from Disney. And so going to Disney is expensive, right? And we were young, and we didn't have a lot of money. But a wise person once told me it's better to have friends than money. So we had friends, and we had friends that worked at Disney. And if you knew somebody who worked at Disney, you, you could get in for free. So they could get you in. So guess what we did? A lot. We went to Disney. Now, Disney is a magical place. It's like it's got awe, it's got majesty, it's got one, it's got the princesses and all this stuff. Not that I care about that, but it's got all this stuff that like you you see like growing up, especially if you grew up in that era of Disney and you just see all these things and these characters and you got all these rides you can ride and it's awesome. But when you go there like all the time, what's it start to become like? Oh, that's I could ride the the um, whatever those rides are the Hulk, no not the Hulk. That's uh, a different. Uh, but you can ride um, the Tower of Terror again, or you can ride these different rides. You can you can go to these different shops. You can see these different characters again. But it got to the point where we would just go up for a couple hours, go to the Harry Potter World, get a butter beer or something, and uh, hang out, and just go home because. It, But you see these kids there for the first time, their eyes are wide open and the majesty's there and they're like running around and they're wanting to do like, they're wanting to get there as soon as the park opens and they're staying until it closes and the fireworks go off at midnight or whatever it is. We ain't doing that because we've been there too many times, right? Sometimes we can unintentionally get that way with church. We can get so familiar and so comfortable coming in here week after week after week that it becomes just kind of like another service. It's not that our heart's not in the right place. I'm not trying to cast anything on you. It's not that we don't love the Lord, but sometimes when we get so familiar with something, we don't put all of our heart into it. We don't pursue God maybe like we once did. We don't uh, treat church like maybe we once did coming in. And so I, I believe that uh, Revelation chapter five is a, such a great picture of turning our hearts back in the right place. And so if you'll turn with me there to Revelation chapter five. Here in chapter four and five, John gets caught up in this vision in heaven and he begins to see these, You know, chapter four also goes along with this. I just didn't have enough time to read it. But if you go back and read chapter four, you begin to see these different things happening in heaven. And that's where I wanna take you here in chapter five. John writes this, he said, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on and on the back and sealed with seven seals. Seven, another thing there. Um, the, the seals you'll read about in chapter six and also in chapter nine, I believe, uh, where uh, or six and seven, um, where these are different judgments coming out on the earth, but it's sealed with seven seals. In verse two, a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice said this, who is worthy to open the scroll and break his seal? Now the question is not who can, how hard is it to open a seal? It's not me and you can open a seal. We could open the seals of the scroll. The question is not who can, the question is who is worthy. And so verse three says, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Three realms were searched, heaven, earth, and under the earth, and no one was found worthy. Now it's God the father holding this, this scroll. So it's not talking about him, but there was no one found worthy. And it says in verse 4, John began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Why did John weep so bitterly? Because he knew the importance of the scroll, but nobody was found worthy. Verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and his seven seals. This is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Let me take you to Genesis 49, uh, 9 through 10. It'll be on the screen here, but you can turn me if you want. This is uh, where Jacob is blessing all 12 of his sons. And when he gets to Judah, he says this. He says, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until the tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. See, in verse nine and 10, it calls Judah a lion and it says there's gonna be a scepter come forth from him. Now this is before Israel even had a king. But it is prophesying about a king that is to come out of Judah, and Judah being called the lion. So he is the lion out of the tribe of Judah. He's also the root of David. We see that in Isaiah 11, uh, 1, Ezekiel 19, uh, 11 and 12, Romans 15, 12, and John 16, But in 2 Samuel, I want to read 2 Samuel 7, 16, it's, uh, talking God's talking to David. He says, your house And your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the the fulfillment of the prophecy of the root of David that Jesus is the fulfillment of his throne being uh, established forever. And the third thing we see in this verse is that he's conquered. John 16 33 says, I've said these things to you that you may have peace. In this world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome. The world. It was Jesus' victory at the cross that sealed his, uh, his, his victory here to establish his kingdom. Hallelujah. Verse six. Y'all good? Y'all stay with me? Does it make sense? We're about to get into uh, some other stuff. I gotta. Um, if you just read it, you're kind of like, man, what's going on? But it all has significance here. Verse six. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. With seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God into all the earth. So Jesus is just described as a lion. And now this is Jesus, the lamb that was slain, standing. So he's not dead. He's standing as though he'd been slain. And he's got seven horns and seven eyes. So what does this mean? Well, Jesus was the spotless Passover lamb. He was the sacrifice that conquered uh, sin, hell, death, the grave. It conquered those things. He has seven eyes and seven horns. Seven means complete or perfection, like I told you. Seven eyes means he's all seeing, he's omniscient. Seven horns represent power, complete power. So he's omnipotent as well. Jesus was the lamb to us. He never hurt anybody. He drove people out of the temple, but we don't ever see a scripture saying that he actually hurt somebody. What we do see is that he, he he is a gracious God, that he extends grace. But he's also a lion. Why is he a lion? Because he's a lion to our enemies. He's a lion to the devil. Because when the enemy comes at us, that's when he's the lion, right? The seven spirits are probably the Holy Spirit because they go out into all the earth. And the seven represents the complete spirit of God. So some people have different thoughts about that, but that, that seems to make the most sense. Verse seven. And when in, he took the scroll from the right hand of, of him who is seated on the throne, uh, this, this scroll is... Uh, a lot of commentators agree on this, but some disagree. It's probably the title deed to the earth, which was turned over to Adam at the beginning because he was given dominion over the earth, but it was released after uh, he, he um, sinned. And so they needed a way, essentially, to get that back, and somebody needed to be worthy to do that, and that's exactly what happened. We see that in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel says, I saw the night vision and behold the clouds of heaven and there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days. This is the same picture we're seeing here in Revelation and he was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The son of man received the kingdom from the ancient of days, amen. Verse eight, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls, for instance, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to break open the seals. For you were slain and by your blood, you have ransomed people for God and from every tribe and language and nation. Every human being, every race, every color, every culture, God wants them to belong to him. And you have made them, made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked up, and I heard around the throne and around the four living creatures. And by the way, um, I hope that you're picturing this scene as it's unfolding in the scripture. I, I meant to say that kind of as we were reading it. Um, one of the things that has really been on my heart and really captivated me to to uh, Revelation chapter five is I remember reading this in our study in our Sunday school class actually preparing for it and just being like man how short do I sell God at really the majesty and who He is and when I'm reading John's uh, vision and all this stuff that's happening in this book I'm like man, I've got, I need a new perspective here. I need new eyes to see exactly how worthy and how majesty God is. Uh, but in verse uh, 11, he says, then I looked and, and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. If you don't know a myriad, you're not alone. But we do know uh, a myriad is the highest number in the ancient Greek uh, number system in, the, in their language. Uh, and it meant 10,000. So it's 10,000s of 10,000s, thousands, thousands of thousands. You're not meant to really keep up with a number. You just need to know this more than we can count. But they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb. You see the theme through here, right? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and bl- glory and blessing. Seven things, that the, if you count on the seven things, he's worthy to receive power. In Matthew chapter 28:18, uh, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth, therefore go. Authority there means all power and absolute rule. He's been given power. He's been given wealth. The wealth of the universe is his. He's been given wisdom. His wisdom is the wisdom of God. He's all-knowing. He's been given might. He has the strength of the spirit of, of the power of truth. He's been given honor, reverence, and respect for all, for all he is and all that he's accomplished. He's been given glory, the brightness, the splendor, the radiance of God, because he is the light. He's been given blessing because he is exalted, because he has humbled himself. And verse 13 says, I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped him. I want to invite the worship team back. I wanted to intentionally leave a lot of time here at the end of service. We got plenty of time. And we'll probably, to be honest with you, we'll probably go past 12. I hope we do. Um, Not for the sake of, you know, we won't stay too long. But what I'm saying is I'm not in a rush to get out of here. And I hope you aren't either. If you're in this room... And you haven't surrendered yourself to the Lord. I want to give you an opportunity to do that here in just a minute. And we're going to take some time to worship and to pray. Um, and at the end here, we're going to have a, a little bit of time of some focused prayer time. Where, you know, I'll kind of give a little bit of direction as to, to what we're praying for. But my challenge to you today is, if you really have been comfortable coming to the church... And you felt yourself kind of getting in the same rhythm and the same routine. And it's, you know, I lift my hand during this time of the song or I kind of do this. And worship, worship is not a song. Y'all know that. Worship is not when we play music and we come in here on church. That's not worship. It's part of worship. I mean, it is worship, but it's not all encompassing, right? But it is what we do here as the body of believers. When we come together, we exalt the name of Jesus. We magnify His name, and if you've had a bad week, you've had a long week, maybe you were yelling on the car on the way down here, maybe your kids have been acting bad or doing whatever. Maybe you've been dealing with uh, stresses and problems, uh, you know, financially, or it could be with family members. There's all kind of things that can take our mind away and distract us from the awe and the majesty of who God is, and sometimes we get, week after week after week, if we're not careful, we can go months, or even years. Some of you have been in in church more than a hundred different times you come for two years every Sunday, that's more than 100 times. Some of you, more than maybe two, three, four, five hundred 500 times you've been to church. Depends on how long you've been coming to church, right? If you've been to church 500 times, it can be easy to, to just kind of not see God for who He is. But this morning, much like we were worshiping earlier, I want to challenge you to, uh, to push past your comfort. And I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone a little bit. But for now, would you stand with me? If you need to get your life right with the Lord, if you need to surrender to Him, I want you to meet me down here during our worship time. But for this time, I want you to kind of block out distractions, block out the people around you. If you need to move, you can move as well. You can come down here and worship with us. Uh, But let's let our heart be in the right place. Not that, not, again, I'm not saying that your heart's not in the right place, but I'm just saying there's more that we can do. Does that make sense? There's, there's, more, there's more to us than maybe what we've been given lately. And I think God is calling us back to that area. And so this morning, during this extended time, let's have a time of worship where we just let free. And we let God be get all the glory. Not on ourselves, but let Him get all the glory. Amen. I'll be back up here in a little.